0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTMobile.com. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670TheScore.com. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
2: Thanks for listening on this Saturday morning. Beautiful day in Chicago. Going to be a great day at Wrigley Field. Bruce Levine, David Haw, here until 11 o'clock inside the clubhouse at Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. And it is a pleasure and a privilege to bring in our next guest on the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. And that's where we find a very familiar voice in Chicago and the voice of the Atlanta Braves on Bally Sports South, Chip Carey. Good morning, Chip. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Good to be with you. Good to have you. Uh, great game yesterday from a baseball perspective. Boy, I don't think that anybody watching the Cubs lately expected that to happen. A, a one one-to-nothing top victory. Very good run manufacturing by the Cubs. Very good pitching and defense. Everything seemed to work for them, Chip. But let's start with just returning to Chicago. You've got to love coming back. I know that uh, you enjoy it. Uh, how uh, How much fun is this weekend for you?
0: Oh, it's been great. My wife, my daughter, and my youngest son are here. We're actually in the playground right across the street from our team hotel where when I lived here with the Cubs, I used to walk my identical twins who were one year old at the time uh, in the morning before Stoney would pick me up to go to the ball game. And I put them both in one of those kids' bucket swings and swing them for 20 minutes or so until they fell asleep and then took them back home, dropped them off for the nap, and then went to the ballpark. So uh, my 25-year-old daughter just sat in one of the swings, and my 13-year-old son just sat in one of the swings. So it brought back a lot of fun memories of our, our days back here in Chicago. Time goes way too fast, but uh, the beauty of this place never seems to change. It's amazing.
1: Chip, a pleasure having you on and uh, getting to talk to you as always. And uh, from the perspective of the Atlanta Braves, uh, it was kind of uh, like this last year when, when the Braves took off. Uh, was it, I think it wasn't until uh, August, uh, Chip, that the, the team really took off. what, what, was the uh, factor that got this team going on that 14-game winning streak?
0: Uh, a couple things. They weren't playing real well. They were very inconsistent. Bruce, kind of ragged. They'd win one, lose two, win one, lose two. Uh, they weren't playing solid, fundamental baseball. A lot of guys were simply trying to launch and hit home runs all the time. They were missing cutoff. Man, they just weren't playing crisp, clean baseball, and they were better than that. And uh, after our last loss in Arizona, Brian Snicker called team meeting. It wasn't one of those throw-the-spread kind of meetings and turnover tables meetings. The serve sort of players doesn't respond to that kind of stuff that we really enjoy hearing the stories with Luke Piniella talk about when he met the Cubs. Uh, but he said, look, we got to get back to fundamentals and be aware of the game situation, be prepared for it. We know how to play the game. Let's play it the right way. They came out, played a very crisp game down in Arizona, won that one, went to Colorado, won four in a row. The starting pitching and bullpen were tremendous in that series. In fact, for the first time in the history of the Braves, they swept a four-game series at Colorado. And then they came home and swept a, a homestand against Oakland, Pittsburgh, and started this uh, road trip off very well in Washington. Bottom line is uh, good teams are supposed to be teams that aren't very good. And the Braves are in a stretch of 29 games in a row against a sub-500 teams. I think they're 21-6 and six or something like that in that stretch. Um, so to be able to do that is, uh, is really remarkable. And they've been able to shave what five, five and a half games off the Mets lead. There's still some work to be done, but, uh, they're doing what they should do. They're playing the game the right way and, uh, pitching defense first and foremost, and they're getting enough hitting generally speaking to, uh, to do good work and win, win a lot of games.
2: So chip back in 2017, after the Cubs were coming off a world series victory, there was obvious conversation like there is in every city. After a team wins a championship, about the quote-unquote World Series hangover, and football, the Super Bowl hangover, it's difficult to have the same type of intensity and maybe approach once you have reached the the pinnacle. And I, and I just wonder how tough that challenge has been for the Braves. I almost wonder if if you know living and moving on without Freddie Freeman created maybe a, a sense of urgency that um, that you might need. But then they started slow, so I, I don't know how this has been approached, but how would you describe the challenge that was in front of Brian Snitker and how he has handled it?
0: Yeah, I think there's some of that. Look, because as you know, even when teams don't win the championship, uh, you have different players each and every year. Every team is its own unique uh, living and breathing organism. And Yeah, losing Freddie Freeman, that was really hard. Uh, The guy was the face of our franchise, an MVP, a perennial all-star, great in the community, great with us in the media, uh, a guy that grew up as a Brave. Uh, but he and the team couldn't come to terms with uh, the economics that made sense for either side. And uh, the Braves pivoted and got a really good player in Matt Olson. That brings its own set of unique challenges. He's a hometown kid, just got married, bought a new house, is from Atlanta. All the inherent pressures that come along with that, not to mention following Freddie Freeman, not to mention playing for a team that won the World Series. All of those things are very, very difficult. Um, and then, obviously, you're trying to to, trying to repeat in a division where one team got off to a red-hot start at the Mets. So, you know, yeah, there's some of that World Series hangover stuff, but I think these guys have, have uh, battled through that. Uh, they, they lost Ozzy Albies for a couple of months. That certainly hurts. But if any team is really well-equipped to deal with these kinds of uh, roadblocks, as we uh, might call them, I think it's the Braves. They dealt with them all last year and ended up running the table. So I think we feel good about our chances. We've got 15 games left with New York, and we'll see what happens uh, by mid to late August.
1: A strong opinion runs in your family a little bit. I don't know if you know that or not, uh, Chip, but (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) going back to your grandfather and your father who uh, were were dear friends of mine and two of the greatest broadcasters in the history of the game, I'd ask them a direct question whether it was just sitting uh, in the dugout having fun and chewing the fat or on the air uh, doing a show like this, and you would always get a direct answer, and and you're no different. I I guess I preface this by saying, we, we are uh, in the week of uh, 25 years since interleague play began, this week 25 years ago. What are your thoughts? Where do you think that uh, particular thing uh, has evolved from, and, and where do you think it should go? I like
0: interleague play. I think it's silly of our sport not to market all of its stars to all of its audiences. The fact that, you, that in, in our case in Atlanta, Mike Trout has played one series in Atlanta in his career. The Pioneers have had Freddie Freeman and Mike Trout on the field at the same time in the same game zero times. When we faced the Angels a couple of years ago, they were hurt. Uh, I think it's absolute idiocy that uh, uh, Shohei Otani is not on the TV sets uh, in Washington and Baltimore and Tampa and Miami and Atlanta or in their ballpark at least once a year. And I think baseball's finally realized that. If you really want to market this game, You've got to market the stars to all the communities, and that means an NBA-style schedule. I think 19 games against your divisional opponent is way too many. I think it hurts attendance. With all due respect, do the Chicago Cubs need to play the Pittsburgh Pirates 19 times to know that they're probably better than them? No, they don't. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, when you have a chance to see Otani come to your ballpark for three of those games or Aaron Judge and the Yankees for three of those games instead of the Pirates, who are going to have a completely different team after the trading deadline, I think it makes so much more sense and from a marketing and television standpoint, look, we're in the entertainment business. Uh, I want to talk about the stars on the other teams. Uh, you, you know, think about how different the NBA would have turned out if you didn't have Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, right? I mean, a Western Conference team and the Eastern Conference team—they played twice a year, once in each, uh, once in each other's city. Under the, under the baseball rules, you'd see Magic and Bird play once every three years, and he would uh, Magic would come to Boston once every six. That's dumb. It's nonsensical, and it's long overdue that baseball is changing that, and I applaud them for it, and I think that we're going to really, really enjoy interleague play as a result of that. And uh, just to add one more caveat to it, I think it's going to make the scheduling a lot fairer. You're going to have a chance to catch everybody at a different time in their schedule, and at least you can say everybody's played everybody else at least once, unlike the uh, unbalanced interleague schedule based on the divisions that we have now.
1: That, that leads, <laughs> it's always, it's always a direct answer from a carry. And I will just leave you with this one extra question before David asks you another. And that is, why have American and National Leagues done?
0: Why are American, you broke up there. Why are American? And I, I said, why
1: leagues? would you have different leagues if you're just going to do it that way? And I'm not saying you're wow. wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. it's. If it's going to be I exactly that, that, then no.
0: I, 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 I've said this for years, Bruce, and, and you know I've said it for ten years. I think the next step for baseball is to expand by two teams. Uh, you've got to get to thirty-two. You've got to get to eight four-team divisions, and more importantly, you have to realign geographically and economically. It makes no sense, despite their success, that Tampa Bay is in the same division with the Yankees and Red Sox. It makes no sense that the uh, uh, that the Pittsburgh Pirates are in the same division with the Cardinals and the Cubs. I, you know, until you create a system where those teams have to challenge teams of like market size. um, You're going to have the economic disparities that we have in the sport. And if you do this the right way, if, for example, you have three or four divisions of small market teams, every year in your playoffs, you're going to have four small market teams getting into postseason play, which again, expands your audience was gives people a chance to get in the tournament and makes baseball kind of like the NCAA and the, you know, the, 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 all the way down to the final four. Uh, you know, that, that's the magic of, of, of baseball. Look, you get in the tournament, who knows what's going to happen. But right now, the Pittsburghs, the Detroits, uh, you know, the, the Colorados, the Arizonas have very little to no chance to compete with the economic powerhouses in the divisions in which they reside. And uh, I think there's a way around it. You expand by two teams, you get to the four uh, division winners, you have two wild cards, and off you go. And everybody seemingly has a chance to get to postseason play. We can argue about whether that's good or bad, having 10 or 12 or 14 postseason teams. But at least if you have four teams of like economics battling it out, they might go out and spend a little more money to go get that middle infielder or a relief pitcher, which is what the players want, to make their playoff chances better. And I think that's what baseball's next step ought to be, in my opinion.
2: We are talking with Chip Carey, the voice of the Braves for Valley Sports South, a familiar voice to Cub fans, Chip, and appreciate your time and when you come back, as you referenced. You think about the days when you were doing Cubs games and you referenced when Steve Stone would pick you up on the way to the park. You know you were part of the celebration, the anniversary that Steve spent his 40th year uh, in the booth. Boy, it's gone fast. When you think of the impact that Steve Stone has had on your career, when you think of your favorite Steve Stone memory, what is it?
0: Um, Well, there's a couple. Number one, first and foremost, uh, I think Steve Stone is long overdue. He should be in Cooperstown. Uh, There aren't many analysts who've uh, gotten the Ford Frick Award, but uh, certainly Stoney doing it as long as he has and as well as he has in the market that he's worked in uh is deserving of that and you know again I'm I'm i biased honestly It's a shame that with all the uh new media that we have only one broadcaster goes in a year. That's that I w- is something I dramatically wish would change. Uh but my favorite Steve Stone story is really my first uh production and only production meeting I have with them. I was doing the Orlando Magic at the time. Uh my grandfather had died, they'd hired me and uh we were in Miami for the opening game of the ninety eight season and Steve said, I'm gonna rent a car and you're gonna to drive because 'cause you're from Florida, you know where the hell we're going. So He got the car, I drove, and we're on our way to the ballpark. And he said, so how's this going to work? And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? He said, how's this partnership going to work? And I said, it's really simple, Steve. You've forgotten more about baseball than I'm ever going to know. You played it, you broadcast it, you know the Cubs like the back of your hand. My job is to say ball two, and your job is to tell me why. (laughs) And that's pretty much much it, okay? So you guys know Steve and his very sarcastic and dry sense of humor. We finished the game, and I think the Cubs lost. It was a good game. It was 3-1 or 4-2, something like that. And uh, I said, we'll see you tomorrow on WGN or whatever, whatever my silly uh, tagline was. And Steve takes off his headset and throws it onto the counter and just, that's just great. And I'm scared to death. I look at him and think, what did I do? What did I say something wrong? Did I I make my new partner angry? And I'm looking at him with these wide eyes. And I looked and I said, what? And Steve leaned over. And you guys know, as uh, non-turn the other cheek as he can be, He leaned over almost with tears in his eyes and stuck his hand out and said, thank you. And I said, thank you. He said, for the first time in 16 years, I don't feel like a sidekick. I feel like I'm part of a team. And for someone who's trying to make their way in a booth or someone who's trying to um, develop trust and a bond (laughs) with a partner. And for someone who is trying to fill unfillable shoes, that moment for me, let me know that Steve had my back and he knew that I had his, and I was just interested in making him the rightful star of the show uh, as he was in us getting it right on WGN every day. So Steve Stone, Arnie Harris, uh, the laughs we had, those were those were precious times, wonderful times. And as I walk around town, I think about them all the time. It was just a great, great time in my life. And I'll always be grateful for the time I had with uh, Steve in that booth.
1: Chip, uh, the last one from me, and we know you got to catch a bus to the ballpark. So with David and I really appreciate your time and, and all this fun that we've had here over the last 20 minutes. Uh, the one broadcaster, it doesn't matter what sport, that you really enjoy listening to yourself?
0: Uh, well, I grew up with Jack Buck in St. Louis. I mean, you know, for me, he was the paragon. Uh, Pete Van Waren was my partner in Atlanta and was with my dad for so many years. Pete's kind of like the, uh, the professor and the underappreciated, uh, Just uh, and I say this as the ultimate compliment, the boring pro. Uh, he was awesome. I uh, love listening to Gary Thorne do hockey. I don't think there was anybody I mean, is there a better hockey voice than, than, you know, than just a voice of God than Gary Thorne? I love Pat Foley too, don't <laughs> misunderstand, but I'm talking on a national level. Gary right. Thorne doing hockey on on uh, ESPN was awesome. Uh, you know, those, those guys are iconic people and uh, all of us aspire to, to do what they do and be thought of in the same uh, uh, wonderful terms and that's why we work so hard that's why we, you know, go to the ballpark four hours before the game to try to get better and try to be a condo between the game and fans. And I think those guys did it as well as anybody.
2: And Chip, so do you. And it's a pleasure talking with you today. I know people are smiling as they listen to the radios and reminiscing, hearing your voice and, and just remembering how you and Stoney were together. And it's just great to, to hear you. And it'd be great to see you and, and enjoy your weekend in Chicago.
0: Thanks guys. Always, always the best. You guys were wonderful to me. Uh, my time here my family's always been grateful. We love coming back to Chicago in so many ways. It's, our, uh, our second home away from home and uh, we're, we're grateful for the time we had here and we're grateful that uh, so many people remember, remember me and, more importantly, my family so fondly and you guys included. So thanks for having me on. Best wishes to you guys and good luck after we leave town, okay?
2: Thanks, Chip. Yep, Chip Carey, <laughs> hey guys, the nice voice of the Braves on Bally Sports South. And, Bruce, That uh, it's great catching up with Chip. He's very gracious with his time when he does come to town. I had not heard that story about Steve Stone before, but I can see – and we did hear the we have heard Stony talk about how with Harry it was he knew his role and he knew where the what, what Harry did and we know that things changed obviously when uh, the, the net, when when Chip came to town Steve was more of the show and that continued for the year through the years and uh, but I had never heard about the first yeah was, that was it, you're
1: right David it was kind of a shot at Harry in a sense but it also uh Steve is still to this day the most complimentary guy when it comes to Harry and uh, helping him establish his career as the great broadcaster. he said, and chip said it beautifully, uh, David, that it's long overdue that Steve Stone is in the Hall of Fame because he brought uh, he brought the uh, analyst to another level in baseball by not only being there to uh, talk about uh, what just occurred, but what will occur before it happens. Nobody, I think, in the history of baseball broadcasting, as far as um, color commentary, has predicted more correct results than Steve Stone has over the last 40 years. I mean, every weather Every TV station in town wants him to be their weather guy, just so his
2: (laughs) forecasts are always correct. It's going to rain today, Stoney, isn't it? Right, right? I I need an umbrella. Tell me. Um, And you saw it the other night, Bruce. It happened again. And I know I'm isolating one incident. It happens fairly often. He said something to the effect of, Jose Abreu was going to have a good at bat. Jose Abreu was really going to take advantage here. Jose Abreu then hit a home run. (laughs) It's like, okay. Stoney at his best. And so, yeah, it's neat to hear Chip Carey reminisce about those days. They didn't end in the greatest fashion in that 2004 season, but they were great together, and um, and Chip still does a fabulous job as a voice of the Braves. I wanted to ask you one baseball question, though, before we move on here, Bruce. And we have Jim Deshays coming up. We have a lot more to talk about here on Inside the Clubhouse till 11. Brian Snitker gets uh, overlooked when we talk about great managers when we talk about managers that are at the top of their game maybe that's just me but I do think he's somewhat underrated the challenge is great when you have a championship team coming back we remember how much Joe Madden was accused of letting kind of things slip away and get a little bit more lax after the Cubs won a championship as you look at the Braves Bruce as you look at them winning 14 in a row after a slow start they had the team meeting what do you think he does best? And, and when you think of him as a manager, what stands out?
1: I think from a, a distance perspective, he's it's never about Brian Snitker, okay? And it's always about managing and respecting all 26 in that room. And <clears throat> Joe Madden, I believe, never got enough credit for it. I think David Ross doesn't get enough credit for it. The absolute guy that doesn't get enough credit for it is Tony Larussa. Okay, when it comes to respecting and having the respect of those players and I think Snitker is uh, is uh, absolutely brilliant at not being uh, the center of attention and not getting in the way of very good young players. He is a coach at heart. So are the other guys I mentioned and even though manager is the title it's really the coaching of the individuals and the, and the, the ability not to overmanage, not overassert yourself uh, as a baseball person. Uh, even though it's always a temptation, David, mm-hmm. to uh, give more information, sometimes it's less information and letting the player play that really uh, is the essence of a winning team.
2: Well, understated, yeah, and I think there, there's a lot to be said for that. And it, but it's understated because it, it's it's his personality to be that way. Yeah,
1: that's and why he's
2: there. Mm-hmm. That's why he's there, and I think that's why he's successful. But I think, in fairness to, like, say Joe Madden, his personality wasn't that way, so he was also true to himself. It was just yeah. they were they were different guys and and had different styles in terms of management.
1: It, but but you're right. But. You're right about that, but the the one thing that's constant is the communication with the player and the ultimate respect that the player receives from these guys and believes in. That is what helps make teams, and in particular, in this case, baseball teams, and in this instance, the Atlanta Braves, successful, along with some great talented young players well strong communication
2: right that strong communication fosters great respect from leaders from managers because it's whoever... like Mitch
1: Rosen at the score right 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 that's I was, right I was I was told that's... to say that you were just did you get a text something in mid-sentence
2: there Bruce did you have to no just... he'll, he'll be ignore... texting me
1: saying don't bring up my name on the air again
2: <laughs> never again never again no, but I think Snitker does get overlooked. Would you agree sometimes when we talk about the best managers in baseball, when we talk about the guys who make that 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 impact, we don't know how much a manager means in the course of a season, but his name rarely comes up, yeah. and yet you look at the success he's had.
1: It's impressive. Look, uh, if I mention Ali Marmal to uh, eight out of ten baseball fans, uh, do you think they would know that he's a manager of a first-place team right now? Wasn't he the closer who stunk with the Cubs at the the end? No way, that was Carlos, right? I'm just saying that that there's a a trend to to hire really good baseball people, not necessarily big personalities. The the reverse is working in New York with Buck Showalter. It
2: is because I think Buck Showalter did a nice job in his absence of staying relevant and staying in the game. So that is a great example. It just depends on – the personnel, it depends on the personality and it depends on your ability to communicate effectively as a leader in the dugout. Speaking of good baseball guys, we've got one who's going to join us next. Jim DeSha easy for me to say, Jim Deshays from the Marquee Sports Network will come on inside the clubhouse when we come back. Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy the score. We're back with more inside the clubhouse with
0: Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
2: Welcome back inside the clubhouse. beautiful day here in Chicago. Thank you for listening. Talking baseball till 11 o'clock with Bruce Levine. I'm David Haw. And it's going to be a beautiful day at Wrigley Field. And that's where Jim DeShays will be for the Marquee Sports Network. And Jim joins us on. The Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, home of the world's largest sportsbook. Good morning, Jim. How are you?
3: Good morning, fellas. I'm great. How are you doing today?
2: Doing well. Looking forward to seeing what the Cubs uh, can do to start their 14-game winning streak now that they have snapped their 10-game losing streak, just like the Braves.
3: And Keegan Thompson well, was a
2: big <laughs> – Yeah, why not? Think big. Jim, mm-hmm. when you look at Keegan Thompson's performance yesterday, six innings – and really strong performance, did not give up a run. Uh, and I, Bruce and I were debating earlier. In your mind, as an ex-pitcher, knowing knowing what today's game demands of these guys with the live arms, what is the best way the Cubs can use him moving forward?
3: Uh, I would say yet to be determined. Um, you know, I think it's a work in progress. He was so good as that bulk guy out of the bullpen. Um, you know, starting a lefty, then bringing him in to face a predominantly right-handed hitting lineup. Uh, obviously, he's he mastered that. He's shown he can do that. question is, can he be a starter? And I don't think that's a, a question that needs to be answered anytime soon. Um, so, you know, that's where the Cubs are. They're in this development phase. So, you know, run him out there as a starter and, and see, how, you know, see how it looks. And it's been a mixed bag so far, but I loved what he did yesterday. Coming off of two tough starts, you know, the Orioles – Uh, knocked him around pretty good, and then he got ambushed by the Yankees, didn't make it out of the first inning. So you know there wasn't a ton of confidence when he took the mound yesterday, but there was a defiant attitude, I think, in the way he pitched, uh, aggressive with the fastball. Um, So it was a really nice adjustment for a young pitcher who uh, had come off two really tough starts to to go out and dominate, you know, a really good Braves lineup.
1: J.D., you're in the uh, manager's office every day, along with the other broadcasters, uh, you know, getting – briefed uh, by David Ross, uh, what's going on. And uh, if you can share just a little bit of that, because a lot of it's, you know, off the record and and straightforward uh, because of the confidence uh, you all have in each other. Uh, The difference you see in David Ross as a manager on a team uh, in 2020 and maybe the first half of 2021 with a, a team that was going to compete for a championship and what uh, what the team has evolved into right now and uh, developmental stage and uh, maybe the different type of manager that he has to be uh, now.
3: Yeah, you know, I don't see any difference, uh, w- which is a good thing. I mean, David Ross, I think, has a real good touch, a very good understanding of the game, um, and he knows where they are in terms of, you know, where they are in their, their arc towards being a, a competitive club. Um, but he's the same guy, and that's what you want. You want a manager who brings the same approach every day, whether he's in first place or last place, whether his team has won ten in a row or lost ten in a row. You know, he's got a light touch. He cares, man. He's not happy with losing. I'll tell you that. Um, but but he uh, you know he, he appreciates the effort, and I think he's I think he's good, Bruce, at being able to discern between uh, a, a loss where his team played hard and and you know played the right way. And a loss or even a win when they didn't. And that's, I think, the hallmark of a good manager is even when you're winning, if you don't hit a cutoff man, if you make a stupid mistake on the bases, if you give away at bats, um, you know, that's when you're going to lean on guys. And that's what, you know, Joe Torre was kind of famous for that. Um, when his teams were winning, he, and, and Madden would do it too. That, that, that's when he would check guys and he would get in their face a little bit. Uh, don't ever assume this game is easy. Don't take things, take things for granted. Sometimes when a team is really scuffling, you have to kind of back off the gas a little bit, knowing that they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves. So as a manager, you have to see that and know when to back off a little bit.
2: Joined by Jim Deshays here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score inside the clubhouse until 11 o'clock. Jim, Caleb Killian has made two starts against two first-place teams. Not exactly ideal situation or scenario for a young pitcher trying to find his way. Tommy Hodovey told us on Mullion on Thursday morning that the plan right now is for Killing to stay in the rotation uh, in the foreseeable future. What do you think about what he has shown so far, and is that a good decision?
3: Well, I think it's a great decision. Again, we're at that point where you want to see what guys have. He's 25 years old, so he's not 21, 22. Um, by all accounts, he's a mature kid, so if he comes up here and struggles for a while, it's not going to break him. You know, I, I think he can handle uh, the pressure of pitching in the big leagues. It's weird just in terms of pitching performance because I thought in his debut against the Cardinals, he was really good. You know, he ran out of gas towards the end of his outing. But the fastball command was there. The life on the fastball was good. Um, but the other day, nothing was working for him. He was, he was just scattering the, the ball all over the place. He had no command of his fastball, which is totally contrary to the scattering report. You know, he's a guy with good touch. Uh, knows how to pitch with his fastball. So that that one just got away from him. And that's why I think it's a good idea to keep him in the rotation. You know, it, you don't want guys measured uh, by two starts. You, if you really want to see what a guy's capable of, you've got to give him uh, a handful of opportunities to go out there and pitch.
1: Jim, uh, we know that player development in baseball is not always linear. But uh, from the expectations that Cub fans have had, from great teams from two thousand and fifteen uh, through uh, two thousand and twenty, um, the The idea that uh, the cubs are gonna be in a rebuild now, how how do you how do you get your your head around it uh, when you look at it? and how do you uh, how do you describe it and how does that impact your broadcast of what you see on the field?
3: Yeah, I think you just tell the story that you see every day. i mean, every 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 game is a singular event. You tell that story. And then you tell the narrative of the players in the story. So whether it's Chris Morell, a rookie who's come up and, and done some very exciting things. And, and really a guy who had kind of fallen off the radar just a little bit in terms of Cubs prospects. There's been so much talk about all the all the guys they've acquired in trades over the last couple of years. We, we didn't hear as much about Morrell. And all of a sudden he's come up and uh, performed really well. He's done a really nice job. So there's always good stories to tell, Bruce. Um and I'm, you know, I, I, I take Jed at his word that this this is going to be a, a little bit of a, a quicker turnaround than maybe a lot of people anticipate. I think, you know, the Suzuki and Stroman signings over the winter indicated that. Um, I, you know, I, I think they're probably going to be aggressive this winter, and trying to improve the ball club. So, uh, you know, I'm bullish on the future of this team. I love, uh, you know, the the, the, the run all these deals. At least what you hear. I haven't seen and very few of them play in person, but Pete Crow Armstrong and Owen Casey and, you know, uh, the Alcantara kid. Uh, There's a number of good young prospects uh, coming, and they might get here sooner than people expect.
2: We have talked about Thompson. We have talked about Killian, and Jim on the mound today will be another young pitcher who could be at the center of the Cubs' rebuild in Justin Steele. Justin Steele goes against Kyle Wright today at Wrigley Field. Um, How would you evaluate his season to this point? The numbers – Aren't great, but you, you look beyond the numbers and you see some things that uh, might be signs for encouragement.
3: Yeah, well, I, th- I put him in the same bucket as, as Keegan. I, I think he's proven that he's a big league pitcher, and the question is, is he ultimately going to be better as a starter, as a bullpen? What is the ceiling? You know, I don't think either one of those guys profile uh, necessarily as a top of the rotation type guy, but uh, who knows? You know, the, the, I, I think for Steele and, and, and Keegan, they both have kind of this bulldog mentality, which is great. I think. Justin could use a third pitch. He's basically a two-pitch pitcher, fastball slider. I'd love to see him develop that change up a little bit more and, and gain more confidence in that pitch. I think that could be a huge difference maker for him. But we've also seen him go out there with that fastball-slider combination and, and pitch some really good games. He's coming off two solid back-to-back starts. He's, he's kind of funky um, in that he gets a lot of ground balls on high fastballs, which is weird. You know, Normally that's a fly ball or a swing and miss pitch. But the action on that pitch—it's got a little cut to it, or a little something—that you know he, he's able to induce a lot of ground balls with that pitch. So you know, I, I'm one of those people that you know I—I I, I just I don't want to put limitations on a guy, but I I'm pretty comfortable in saying that both those guys uh, will be able to carve out a role either as a solid you know bullpen piece or a, a you know pretty solid starting pitcher.
1: Jim is joining us for a few more minutes on Inside the Clubhouse, uh, JD. When you look at this week, and this has kind of been the theme of the show so far, being 25 years since uh, uh, interleague play began, your thoughts about that span and the impact it's had on baseball to this point and what it should be in the future?
3: Yeah, uh, you know, and I heard I heard uh, Mr. Chip carry on, and Chip was very eloquent in, in defending interleague play and, and arguing all the reasons why he likes it. And I I agree to an extent. I think from a marketing standpoint, star players playing in markets they don't normally play in is a good thing. I'm so old school, though. Uh, For me, I would trade interleague for more games against old National League rivals from the other divisions. I would want to go home and home with the Dodgers twice each year. I'd want to go home and home with the Mets each year. Um, Yeah, I do love the White Sox thing. I think that's where interleague play is best when you have – you know, markets with, with two teams or, you know, a, a true natural rival. I think in early play, they've tried to create some rivalries um, down in Texas when I was with the Astros all those years. They had the Lone Star Series, and we played for the silver boot. And it's <laughs> like, come on. There's no rival. These are two teams in different leagues. They're not fighting for the same prize. Um, so I, I get it. Um, uh I understand there's value there. I think it helps generate revenue, which is good for the sport. Yeah. But but I would I would still I would, I would trade interleague play for more games against the NL East than the NL West.
2: As long as pitchers don't bat again, right, Jim? You want your major league record to be standing intact for the longest <laughs> streak without an extra base hit for a pitcher, correct? That's
3: right. It's mine. It's mine, and it will forever be mine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's great. Before we let you go, a quick one about Wilson Contreras. Emotional day for him today. He was playing against his brother. That's going to be a great story. William catching for the Braves, Wilson for the Cubs. A lot of conversation surrounding him and his future, Jim. But I, from from a pitching standpoint, from a handling pitchers and framing defensively, how has he improved if he has subtly
3: this season? Yeah, well, I think you know he's always been very athletic behind the plate. So in terms of blocking balls, throwing people out, the pickoffs. That's always been a strong part of his game—the framing—and that's so difficult to, to um, you know, to measure. Uh, I think it comes and goes for a lot of catchers. A lot of times, it depends on the pitching staff. You know, if, if guys are uh, pretty consistent around the target, then you're going to be pretty good at framing pitches. If guys are missing, you know, six inches outside, and you're set up inside, it's very difficult to, to make something of that pitch. Um, but I think, you know, I think he's been fine back there. Um, you know, I, I when I when I first saw him catch. He was a little too active back there for me. I like a quieter target, um, but, I, but I think that has evolved over time, and I think that's just a personal preference too. Um, I, I think he's smart enough to know that if, if a single pitcher would prefer him to be a little you know, more stationary behind the plate, then he'll do it. Um, so, yeah, I think he, you know, he obviously he's the best offensive catcher in the game this year, and, and I think his, his defense has been just fine.
2: Jim, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Have a great call today and a great weekend.
3: Hey, great to be with you guys. A uh, beautiful day here at Wrigley. Uh, hope you can make it out. It's, I mean, it's gorgeous out here. Jim Deshays
2: from the Marquee Sports Network in the booth with Boog Shambi. does a great job, Bruce. And there's a lot to uh, lot to talk about still in our, in our last segment when we come back. We want to talk about the schedule. We want to talk about – uh, how it could change next year, and why is Bruce grumpy about it? Let's talk about that next in Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
1: We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio,
0: 670 The Score and 670thescore.com presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
2: Welcome back. We have a final segment, and we want to talk about the schedule change. Today is the 25th anniversary, this season, of interleague play. Correct, Bruce? We are celebrating that, or maybe you're lamenting that. I'm not sure which, but now things will change. I don't like it. Don't like it. I know you don't like Get used to it. I'm sorry. We're going to have to evolve. Things are going to change, Bruce. Here what, is what's happening. What's this Wee, what's this wee stuff? I'm getting you on board. I am going full Lance Lynn on you. You're Joe McEwing. I'm Lance Lynn. Get on board. Come on now. All right. I'll have the happen.
1: impossible burger with an order of fries, please. <laughs> well, they need Jake Burger today. White Sox <laughs> Houston this afternoon. Very nice. Nice So,
2: man. next year, because of the new CBA, they will play division teams 14 times instead of 19 times. They'll play the other 10 teams in your league, respectively, uh, six times. So, that's 56 and 60. That's 116 games. That leaves 46 left, and that's where the interleague increase will come from now 16 times to 46 games. That will be happening as early as next year. I like it, Bruce, because I do think that it's more representative of an overall competitive balance, and it also reflects how you, how you fare against everybody in baseball. I also like the idea of being
1: able to see certain players on certain teams you might not ordinarily see. Okay, so I like seeing that stuff, but here's what I don't like. It diminishes the American and National League being separate from each other. It also uh, diminishes the All-Star Game. It's, it becomes uh, a – you might as well just have uh, the home run derby and leave it at that, okay, because uh, there, there will be no difference – In uh, the leagues, you're playing almost equal amount of games against uh, American and National League. To me, the beauty of baseball was always the American League champion and the National League champion and how it really meant something special, even for a losing team in the World Series, to be the champion of their league. Okay, it is not going to be that any longer. That's what I lament. I do not argue the fact that Mike Trout should come and visit Wrigley Field. I do not argue the fact uh, that the great National League players should come and visit at guaranteed rate. I don't argue that. But what I do argue is diminishing the difference in the leagues. Uh, To me, it was always a great all-star game when the American League and National League were really competing against each other, it meant something, it was appointment TV, it's no longer that.
2: I get that, I think it's more homogenous now overall, and I do think that you look to the other leagues, the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, I don't think you always see that distinct difference between, say, the AFC teams and NFC teams, you don't see that same difference in baseball that you always had with the rules changes that were different with pitchers hitting and the designated hitter. And I kind of like that, Bruce, because I do think it is overall a more level playing field. And it gives, from a marketing standpoint, fans in every in major league city, a chance to see players
1: who they might only see on Apple TV. If they and and find it's them. a great, it's a great point, David. But to me, the beauty of baseball was the separate leagues and people, not only being a Cub fan, but being a national league fan, a White Sox fan, Being an American League fan, our league is better than yours. Uh, I I think it just homogenizes the whole thing and uh, not a huge fan of it. And it's not like uh, Cub fans are dying to see the Seattle Mariners uh, come into Wrigley Field, okay? not Service,
2: (laughs) former Cub.
1: Believe me when I tell you that a guaranteed rate, uh, White Sox fans uh, do not love seeing the Pittsburgh Pirates show up uh, a couple, uh, you know, once they every Katana, year. Return to the South Side. So, so as much I as those – storyline, Bruce. Everybody uses Mike Trout. Okay, we want to see him. What about the teams that have really not the big identity and have no connection with Chicago? To me, that has been forgotten in the
2: narrative. Love the passion, Bruce. This was a lot of fun look forward to continuing it next week and, and all week uh, as you appear on our shows and everything. this has been great. We've got a lot of people to thank.
1: We do and uh, Chip Carey of course of the Braves, Jim Deshays as well. David people can follow me on Twitter, MLB Bruce Levine. have a great day David.
2: Thank you, Cesar Perez, for keeping us on the air here. I'm going to be on The Reporters tomorrow morning, 10.30, making a return to the Marquee Sports Network, Bruce, and all transparency, I will be on there talking baseball, talking Bulls, talking everything for a nice little talk show. Looking forward to that. And you should look forward to Steve Rosenblum, who will connect uh, this uh, station to the Cubs game, and build a bridge to 1245 Cubs pregame here on The Score. Thanks for listening. It's Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6.70 The Score.